Today, we're going to continue our series called Our Family, as I mentioned, and we're going to title our lesson today, Lean on Me, Lean on Me, from Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. We'll get to the text here in a little bit. Did you ever try to do something hard completely alone? You ever try to do something hard that was completely alone? That's difficult, right? I've told you before, I try to, every now and then I try to think I'm strong and with it, and I try to pick up something I shouldn't. And then I pay for it later, and I have a sore back. And I'm going to give you my top 10 things that are impossible to do alone. Okay? <laughs> top 10 things that are impossible to do alone. And maybe you have a few extra you can add on to this. But number one, or number 10, I'm going to go backwards. Number 10, the tango. Tango. What's the saying about the tango? It takes how many to tango? Two to tango. Therefore, it's impossible to tango alone. If you could pull it off, please let me know. Uh, number nine, tug of war. I don't believe you can tug without at least two people, right? So you can't tango and you can't tug without more than one person. I don't know who you'd be tugging. You'd be tugging yourself. That would be weird. Uh, number eight thing you can't do alone is a three-legged race. Think about it. Unless you have three legs, you cannot do a three-legged race. You have to go get another leg. I always hated the three-legged race. Anybody else? I hated that thing. Mainly because I got stuck with someone who wasn't in sync with me, and they'd always be faster or slower. I'd be dragging them, or they're dragging me. Here's number seven, things you can't do alone. A practical joke. <laughs> a practical joke. To have a practical joke, you need somebody else, right? Unless you really want to prank yourself, put the bucket of water on the door, you know, balance it up there, and then forget about it. And then later on, you open it, and it falls right on top of your head. I guess you could do it alone. But that would be weird. Now, number six. Dan, you'll have to fact check me on this one. Start a band. Can you start a band completely alone? Probably not, right? What's that? No, no. Now, I have seen some guys who can kind of play the harmonica, play the guitar, and stomp on the drum with their foot at the same time. I guess that would be like a one-man band. But uh, I think generally speaking, you need others to have a band. Number five thing you can't do alone is fire a missile. It's a little morbid. But fire a missile, I believe when you fire a missile, there's two separate keys. Is that right? That people have to turn and they're not near each other. So one's over here and one's over there. And you have to have two maniacs to fire a missile. So that's a good thing, right? Um, can't do that alone. Number four, maybe Dan, you can fact check me on this one as well. Crowd surf. <laughs> does, he do, does Dan do this? Do you, has, it, has anyone ever crowd surfed? Anyone ever been? You've crowd surfed or you've had someone crowd surf over you? You have? How'd that go? Good to know. I won't try that then. Now, did, did, could you do it alone, Chris? You couldn't crowd surf alone. No, I mean, in the word is crowd. So you need someone to surf on. Uh, here's another one. Number three, go on a date or get married. Can't, you can't do that alone. No one's, ever, no one's ever successfully done that. Now, there is a phrase called soup for one, right? But I think that's just when you get stood up on a date. I don't think that's a date with yourself. Uh, number two thing that is impossible to do alone is share a milkshake or share anything, but share a milkshake. Sharing a milkshake probably is gone forever, right, with COVID and all the germness out there. We're just probably not going to share things like that, but you can't share a milkshake alone. You have to have someone to share it with. And my number one thing to, that is impossible to do alone, excuse me, is water ski. Wa anyone ever water ski? You've water skied? <laughs> Not by yourself. You've water skied, Beth? Yeah. How'd that go? 
Okay. Would would anyone would anyone else water ski? Would you guys water ski? Yeah. You've water skied? Have you really? I didn't know that. Carol? It took it, me. It took two or three boats. Well, sure. <laughs> A squadron of boats. Sure. Okay. Um, but you can't water ski alone, right? Someone has to pull you. I would not. I would not try water skiing alone. I don't know exactly how that would go. What's that? You need three. You need three. So one to do the boat. Spotter. I didn't think of the spotter. So if the guy goes underneath, he's the one that says, stop the boat? <laughs> Cut it? Yeah. I guess that's true because the guy who's driving the boat can't look back. you got to have a spotter. Okay. You need three people to water ski. That's good to know. What's that? <laughs> That's our next top ten, things you need a spotter for. Water skiing is on that list. Anyone, anyways, we have one extra one that we're going to transition our lesson to today. It is live a life worthy of your salvation. As we're going to learn today, you cannot do it alone, and that's on purpose. If you have your Bibles, join me in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. A little bit of a lengthy passage, but we won't be preaching this all today. But just listen to the Word of God. Paul speaking. Turn this on here. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the word of God today. We're going to call our lesson today, Lean on Me. As we continue our series called Our Family, we want to continue looking at blessings we get from the church. That's kind of the point of this series. And today we want to discuss the support we get from the church. Support that I believe can actually change our lives. Change our lives as Christians by giving us the strength we need to to carry on in this Christian race until Jesus returns. Now in this classic passage from Ephesians chapter 4, Paul stresses the importance of unifying together. Maybe you guys have heard the phrase, strength in numbers. You guys ever heard that before? There's strength in numbers. We get that phrase from the power of unity. There's power in being unified. 
Now, when one person, even a very strong person, is fighting a battle by himself, they're easy to take down against an enemy army. Isn't that true? Um, I'm sorry, Chuck Norris. I'm sorry, Rambo. And I'm sorry, Jason Bourne. But it's true. That is not true, okay? Taking down an enemy army with one person, one very strong person who knows karate and has two guns is, is not going to work, okay? There is strength in numbers. More importantly, when several or dozens of people lock arms and unify together, they actually become like a brick wall. Or as we're going to look at today, spiritual brick wall. And that's a really important thing to notice. But before we get to the importance of unity, I want you to notice the goal of our lives in Christians. Because Paul says it straight away in chapter 4. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now Paul's in prison writing this letter. Okay, He's in prison. And he uses his imprisonment not as something to be pitied. Like, woe is me. If Paul was around today, there'd be a hashtag. You know, like, poor Paul or woe is Paul. Not something like that. But now, Paul used his imprisonment for motivation, for inspiration, for the church to live the very same way that Paul was living. Because Paul had received salvation and forgiveness from the Lord when he deserved condemnation. So have we all. And I believe Paul kept that in his front pocket his entire life so he would never forget it. He used the amazing love and grace of God through Jesus to live a life that was worthy of what Jesus had done for him. No, none of us can earn or pay back to the Lord what he has done for us. That is not the point. But we can live a life worthy of our calling. We can live a life that is makes what Jesus did for us worth it. I think I've shared the story with you before of those Moravian missionaries who sold themselves into slavery to reach the other slaves with the gospel. And as they left on the boat to leave, this is generations ago, there was no uh, internet or social media or anything like that. As they left on the boat, they said this phrase, they said, may the lamb who was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. These guys considered it Worth it to leave and give their lives into slavery for the gospel because of what Jesus had done for them. And sadly, the only other option to living a life worthy of our calling is to squander our newfound life. To practically pour the blood of Jesus on the ground and waste it. Waste what he has given us, and that would be the most tragic way to live. The most tragic. It's such a real and grave danger that the writer of Hebrews brings it up as a warning. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 10. He says, how much worse punishment, I mean, notice that phrasing, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified, which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace, For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May we never, ever be found wasting the blood of Jesus or taking his death in vain 
by not living differently than we did before we were saved, right? We need to live differently. To not live a life worthy of our calling is to act as salvation and forgiveness in the blood of Jesus is no big deal. Something that we can toss aside if we, if we have better things to do with our time. God forbid. God forbid that ever happens. The blood of Jesus is the single most precious gift we have ever received, and it better be handled with care. Great care. I would say utmost care. Because it's the most precious thing anyone was ever given. The blood of Jesus. Living a life worthy of what Jesus has done for us should be an obvious goal by now. We went through an entire series called All In, right? And hopefully through that series we learned that living a life worthy of what Jesus has done for us is obvious. We should all want Jesus to find us investing his blood into faithfulness to God, obedience to the kingdom, when he returns. That's what we want Jesus to find us doing when he returns, is we're investing his blood into the kingdom and into obedience and faithfulness to God. Because that's the point of salvation. It's not just to be saved and go back to your life. It's to be, as the scripture calls, a vessel of usefulness. Are you a vessel of usefulness for the kingdom of God? Are you taking the blood of Jesus and investing it into God's kingdom? If Jesus comes back and finds his blood tossed aside or wasted... This is where the writer of Hebrews says this phrase, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. May we never be found to be wasting the blood of Jesus. But we're hoping that you desire to live a life worthy of your calling. So Paul urges us to do it in four different things. If you want to live a life worthy of your calling, here are the four things that you need to be about. He says, number one, humility. Number two, gentleness. Three, patience. And four, love. That's how you live a life worthy of your calling. You live your life that way. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. If you want to live a life worthy of salvation and worthy of the spilled blood of Jesus, then we need to be humble people. People who know they didn't deserve the amazing grace that they received. Are you humble? Are you humble? Because we received, all of us, an amazing gift when we actually deserved the opposite. We got salvation. We deserved condemnation. We got forgiveness. We deserved punishment. We got brought near when we deserved to be cast out. Are you humble because of that? Because you should be. Every one of us should be. We must be gentle people. Gentle people, because why? God was gentle with us. That's why. God could have been harsh with us, but he was very gentle with us. Are you gentle with others? Gentle? Do you have the perspective of how gentle God was with you when he could have been very, very harsh? You see, the world is harsh enough, isn't it? It's getting worse. It's getting more harsh. The world needs more gentleness. And we can be gentle and stand for truth at the same time. Because the scripture says you can. You don't have to be a truth teller and be a jerk. And you don't have to be gentle and avoid the truth. You can speak the truth in love and gentleness. Are you gentle? We should be patient people. Willing to forgive and willing to strive towards peace and unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Because again, God is so patient with us. So patient. And patience proves that it doesn't depend on me. Okay, when I'm patient, I'm trusting the process of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. When I'm patient. When I'm impatient, I need results right now. And that means it kind of depends upon me. But when I'm patient, I'm willing to let the process play out. God's Word, God's Spirit. And that's a good reminder for pastors to remember, to be patient. God's system works. And of course, we must strive to show love in all areas because it says in 1 John, God is love. And whoever has been born of God knows God and loves God. If we aren't striving to show love, then we've missed it all. We've missed the entire point of this book. We've missed the entire point of the blood of Jesus if we're not walking in love. But once we understand that our lives are a love gift back to the Lord, and we want to give him a present, and I hope you do, you want to give the Lord a present, something he's worthy of. Now, my dad's birthday is actually tomorrow. Pastor Mel, we should sing. No, I'm not going to lead you in singing. But your birthday's tomorrow, and Elijah's birthday's tomorrow? And the twins' birthday was just a couple days ago. When was the twins' birthday? Yesterday. A lot of birthdays. Now, I'm thinking about what to get my dad, because my dad is one of those guys that once he finds something he wants, he gets it. So by the time his birthday comes, there's nothing to get him. You know, it's like, here's an IOU for a back rub. Does that still work? We'll do that. <laughs> But I'm trying to think of something to get my dad because my dad is one of those guys I want to honor. He's, he's a godly man. He's, he's a really big, important piece in my life. Here's a pastor. Do you want to give a present back to the Lord? Because your life is that present. Your life is. Okay? You don't have to go out and try to find something to target or the internet. You give Jesus your life. That's what he wants. And how we accomplish the goal of living a life worthy of our calling is one simple phrase. Unity. Unity. The secret to living a life worthy of our calling in all four of these things is actually one thing, and it's unity. Now, what is unity? What is unity? I looked this up, and the definition is actually quite interesting. The word unity actually means becoming whole. Isn't that interesting? Becoming whole. I love that definition. And I want you to notice the language from Paul right here in chapter 4. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity or wholeness. We must be eager to go after unity. Without unity, we're weak people. We're weak people because we're not whole. When we're weak, we are susceptible to the devil's attacks because the devil loves nothing more than isolated, weak Christians. Remember, he's a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. What would the lion be best looking for. He's looking for the zebra by himself, by the stream, without the other pack of zebras. That is the best time for the lion to pounce. And I believe the devil is that kind of fighter as well. He's looking for the weak, isolated Christian by themselves, And he has so many weapons and so many tricks up his sleeve that an isolated Christian is almost zero chance, I would say, of surviving. Standing against the armies of the devil. You have no chance, and I have no chance without the church standing next to you. No chance. It's not like, well, things get harder. No, you have no chance on your own in this Christian race. So when the devil sees a lack of unity in the church, I think he begins to salivate. That's exactly what he's looking for. I believe an attack is imminent because now you're weak. 
You're by yourself in your easy pickings. I'm going to show you a clip that I believe kind of illustrates the idea of unity. It comes from a movie at the turn of the century called Gladiator. Maybe some of you guys have seen this before. Now, I will say this. Uh, I don't want to recommend this movie. It is full of violence, but I have seen it. And this part represents the idea of unity. And I believe most of the violence is edited out of it. So uh, just, just to let you know. But we're going to play like a two-minute clip. And I just want you to see what's going on in this passage, or this clip. So whenever you're ready, Luke. Uh, it's easy to see what's going on in that clip, right? Gladiator, Russell Crowe's character, says, if we stay together, we survive. If we huddle together and we fight as one unit, whatever comes out of these gates will have a much better chance of survival. It didn't show it, but in the movie, a couple guys, they didn't get the memo, and they kind of drifted from the pack, and they were the first ones to die. And It's an easy strategy, and it's also a winning strategy, that if we come together, we survive and we win. And if we don't come together and we don't unify... We lose, and we die. And I'm not talking about a metaphor. I'm talking about actual death, the worst kind of death, death apart from God, because we don't unify, because we don't do what he told us to do, live a life worthy of our calling. And this Christian battle, we need to understand, is a fight to the death. It isn't a joke. We either defeat the devil and we stand our ground, or he defeats us. And the Lord is the one who trained us to fight together, or as we're going to call it today, lean on me. And the me that we're talking about today is the church. The church. I want you to notice why unity should be obvious to us. Right here in the passage, Paul says this. He says there is one body, one church body, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, class, what was the key word in that passage? I helped you out with the yellow there. What is it? One. one. Do you notice how many times he says it? Seven times in three verses. He says the word one so that we understand this idea of unity. Or remember the definition of the word unity means becoming whole. Becoming whole. Notice there's one body. 
There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. And that's several. Several ideas of this Christianity. Several ways to do it. No, there's one. One way. Christ's way. And we need to come together and all line up behind that way and lock arms and lock shields, as that thing said. Now, if we, the church, have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, then we're not whole until we're unified, are we? We need to come together. And I think the best analogy I can think of, maybe you guys remember this show from the, I'm dating myself here, 20, 30 years ago, it was called uh, Power Rangers. Does anyone remember that? When the, the robots would like link up with the other robots and make one giant robot, and then they'd go feed the giant enemy, whatever it was. And uh, that's kind of the idea of what we're talking about today, is we all kind of come together and link our strengths and our talents together because we have a very big and strong enemy and he's seeking to destroy us all. And let's face it, even the strongest of us are pretty weak on on our own. I know I am. Did you know that about your pastors? We might seem strong to you, but against the devil, we're like puny, wimpy sissies. And without the church supporting us, Pastor Mel and I are in big trouble. Without the church... So that means without the church supporting you, you are too in big trouble. We desperately need one another. Now the term unity, I believe, sounds kind of contemporary, maybe even theological. It's a term we maybe have overheard in the Christian circles. And maybe now we tune out every time we hear the word unity. But I think the best description of the word unity is, is oneness. Oneness. This idea that we get from Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, or even we can say the phrase spiritual support. Spiritual support. And I hope you know that spiritual support is crucial to Christ followers. And maybe you're thinking today, I've been around long enough. I've heard it all. I know what I'm doing. I don't need anyone else's support to run this race. Well, I think that's a very prideful and a very dangerous thing to think. So it's time for an illustration. I'm going to give you one more illustration today. Now I'm going to share something with you that It's going to make me a little vulnerable. There's something that I do every single day that is very hard. And I don't do a very good job at it. And it's going to embarrass me just to tell you. Sometimes I try to take my shoes off without sitting down. Does anyone else do this? I know that's really silly to think about. Does anyone else do this? Take your shoe off without sitting down. Now, Thank you, thank you, Abby. I appreciate that. One, we got one back there. Now, there's a thing called Big Brother out there, right, where the cameras are everywhere and they're watching you. I'm going to be honest. If anyone's watching my life, I'm a pretty boring guy. You know, I have seven kids. I'm a pastor. I I don't think my life would be that exciting. But if there were cameras on me while I'm trying to take my shoes off while standing up, I'm going to be embarrassed. Because I often stumble. And let me just show you. You know what? I'm just going to show you. I know, I know, this is going to be, make sure the camera can get me, because I want to make sure everyone can see this. Now, I, when I take, try to take my shoe off, I kind of end up doing one of these things. Anyone else with me? And instead of just sitting down and taking my shoe off, I get through the process like this. And sometimes I fall. Sometimes I fall. Now, generally, I'm near a bed or a chair, and I can kind of hold myself up. But uh, I don't know, does anyone else do that? Abby, you do that, right? You don't want to sit down and take your shoe off, Grace? Yeah. Why is that? Now, can I, can I get a couple volunteers? This is really, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to be the one that's embarrassed. All I want you to do is I'm going to take my shoe off again, but I want you to hold me up. 
Come on, two people. I need two people. Anybody, come hold me up. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure I don't fall, okay? Now, I could sit down. That would be the easiest way. But I just want you to hold me. Hold my arm. Just make sure I don't fall. Look at this. Falling. Look how easy that was. Now, I know that's a really dumb illustration. Thank you, guys. You guys can sit down. I have to put it back on. So I'm gonna... But I tried to think of something that requires support. And I was going to bring the ladder out because we have a ladder here. And I was going to climb to the, the highest I could go in the ceiling. That may have ended badly. Um, I didn't want to do something dangerous, so I decided to do something really silly instead. But I hope you guys understand the idea there with support is without support, we're easy to push around. If you're standing on one leg, if you're doing something hard by yourself, you're easy pickings. And notice what he says in verse 11. Listen to what he says. He says, And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Do you notice that? We need support. Paul says that Jesus has called us and enabled leaders to lead us in the proper spiritual way so we might all reach unity. And remember, unity is described as becoming whole, becoming one, or spiritual support. And why is spiritual support so important? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He implies that we were once children. Not children in the sense of physical children, but in the sense of spiritual children. When we were first saved, it's honest, we were pretty immature people. We were easy to push around. We acted like children. We didn't know the proper way to go until we received instruction. And Paul also implies that we were easy to be tossed around by the waves, by every wind of doctrine. And I believe he's now speaking about false doctrine, false doctrine that exists in the world. Human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Because quite simply, we didn't have the support we needed. We did not have the support that God gave us. We weren't whole. We were easy to push down. Now, I did embarrass myself, and I'm going to kind of embarrass Pastor Mel. Sort of. It's okay, Pastor Mel. Um, my dad, Pastor Mel, is a big, strong guy, and he always has been. Always. Ever since I was little. Now, my dad, I would also say, is a big teddy bear. He is. He's a nice, gentle guy, but... You also don't mess with Pastor Mel. I remember just staying in line as a child, mainly because of my dad's size and strength. I didn't know what he was capable of. I didn't want to find out either. But you, also, you don't mess with my dad, okay? My dad was one of those guys that you definitely respected growing up just because of his size, uh, but also because of the kind of guy he was. And you definitely don't call him Melvin. Definitely don't go down that road. But as big and strong as my dad is, I once saw an ocean wave throw him around like a rag doll. And it actually literally picked him up and threw him into the sand. And my dad was all bruised and battered that day. 
Yeah, his face was all. Your glasses were. My glasses were up on the shore. Yeah, but he got all bruised and battered. I'd never seen anything like that before. As a kid, I was like, going, "Wow, did, that that was powerful." My dad just got lifted up and tossed into the ground. I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen it since. But you know what? It honestly wasn't humiliating, and I'll tell you why it wasn't humiliating. Because water is incredibly powerful. I wasn't that shocked because I too was in the waves that day and could sense the presence and the strength of those waves. And nobody, I don't care who you are, is able to withstand powerful waves of water. No one. On their own. Waves are bigger and stronger than even Pastor Mel is. And he's the strongest guy I know. None of us would have been able to keep our footing that day. None of us. Paul says that we were once like children. We were tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds of doctrine in this world. Whatever the common doctrine of the world was out there or the religious Christian beliefs in the world, we listened to. We didn't know any better. We listened to whatever somebody said, whatever sounded pleasing to the ears, whatever soundbite was out there, whatever someone posted online, posted on the internet, we liked it, we shared it, and we didn't even question, is it biblical? Is it biblical? We also have taken the advice of some pretty bad people in the world, and we've fallen right into the devil's snares. We didn't even watch where we were walking. We walked right into his traps. We didn't have discernment, and the devil knew easily how to trick every single one of us because we were like children. Now, that might sound humiliating and embarrassing, and in some ways it is, but honestly, that is what's supposed to happen without spiritual support. Did you know you could still be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine? They could still toss you about, and you will end up on your back not knowing which way is up. And this happens because simply the devil is much stronger and much craftier than you are. He knows what he's doing, and he's taken down souls much stronger than you. An example is King David. David justified murder and adultery. And he was King David, a man after God's own heart. If the devil can take down King David, he can take down each one of us, easily, without support. Now, you might consider yourself a strong, sensible, disciplined person, a person that is unlikely to listen to errors, but I believe if you're thinking that way, you're giving yourself way too much credit. The devil's been around longer. He's wiser in the ways of Scripture than you. He's seen most, if not all, of your pressure points. He knows how to knock you down. And he knows how to knock me down as well. And quite honestly, we're all sitting ducks without the profound spiritual support of the church. The church. And I hope you know this to be true, not just by listening to scripture, but by experience. We need spiritual support. We need unity. We need oneness. We need to be whole if we're going to stand our ground. Unity is not the cherry on the top of the ice cream. I believe it's a matter of eternal life and death. Without unity, I believe we have zero to no chance of making it. We need to understand this today. Okay, Unity is not gravy. It's not the cherry on the top of the ice cream. It's a matter of eternal life and death. Or maybe we could say it this way, unity or bust. Unity or bust. If we don't unify together, we will remain weak and will remain open to the devil's attacks. And it won't take the devil long to have us completely chasing gross error. And thinking that error is truth because he's a master deceiver. 
He makes, he makes error look like truth even to the strongest Christians. And without the support of the church, every one of us will be another check mark on the devil's wall. And I don't want to be a check mark on the devil's wall. And I don't want you to be another check mark on the devil's wall. So let us listen to Paul's plea for unity. He says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when, it, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. When we unify and we come together, we grow up into the head. Into Jesus. Now think how strong you would be if you grew up into Jesus. If and when this happens, we are joined and held together and built up in love. And this is the exact antithesis of being tossed about by the deceitful schemes of the devil. We become strong and equipped and formidable against the devil. And we're built up into Christ. That's the goal. That's the secret to winning. Being built up into Christ. Being one and whole with Jesus. And I believe the devil knows this to be true today. That's, for, that's, that's why he hates this message today. He hates it. He knows if we figure this out today, he's in trouble. But I also believe that Satan believes that we're not going to take this seriously today. We'll listen, we'll agree with it, and we won't change anything we're doing. We'll continue staying isolated, weak, and susceptible to his attacks. I don't think he cares that much that we're simply talking about it. I don't think that's a threat to the devil yet. I think he's expecting us to change nothing. Let's prove him wrong. Let's prove him wrong. Let's start seeing unity as crucial for our spiritual health. And if we do, we can't lose. Do you know that? If we unify, if we come together, we are impervious to his attacks. Now, I'm going to give you seven things what I believe leaning on each other looks like, or I'm going to call unity in action, okay? And I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. We might linger on these at a future date, but I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. I just want you to understand what unity looks like because that's an easy word to say and define and be all cute with and give you an illustration, but what does it actually look like in the nitty-gritty of Christianity? How do we unify and how do we win? I'm going to give you seven things. Number one is quite simply, gather. Gather, like we're doing today. Gather regularly and faithfully with your church. Because quite simply, how can we unify if we're not together? How can we? How can I lock arms with you if you're not next to me? How can you lean on me if I'm nowhere near you? This is the point of gathering, to have somebody to lean on. Remember the old song, Lean On Me? We all need somebody to lean on. I'm not going to sing. But it's true. You need me. And I need you to withstand the attacks of the devil and to become more like Jesus. We need each other. I was placed in your life and you were placed in mine to lean on each other. That's why. Let us lean on each other. Put your chores, put your other ambitions and duties in this life aside and invest in your church. 
by making regular and faithful gathering with your church of utmost priority. Now, this is a foreign concept to the American church. The American church does not do that well. Typically, we gather when it works for us. When all the stars align, when all our ducks are in a row, then I'll go to church. If I'm healthy, if work is going well, if God's doing this for me, if I don't have any hardships, then I'll gather. That's a wrong mindset, a dangerously wrong mindset. We need each other to survive, to grow, and to mature. Are you spiritually weak today? That might be the reason. That might be the only reason you haven't put gathering with your church at number one yet. If you want to unify, that has to be a no-brainer. I will gather with my church faithfully and regularly until the end because I need them and they need me. Number two, we need to become vulnerable with each other. We need to open up to each other. Now, I know that's a scary one, right? That's a scary one to say because when you become vulnerable with other people, you might get hurt. It's possible that if you open yourself up to other people, they might hurt you. But it's an honest fact and quite ironic that if we don't open up to our church, we're already opened up to the devil. We're already vulnerable with someone who is trying to hurt us every single day because no one's truly closed up. Either you're open up with your church or you're open up to the devil. So I would say become vulnerable with your church, the ones who want to help you, the ones who want to support you, so that you're not exposed to the devil. And nothing but the church can love you and support you like you deserve and like you need. Nothing. Because it's where Jesus is. This is where Jesus is. Now it doesn't mean that if you open up to your church and become vulnerable with us that you will never get hurt. That's not what it means. Because you might. But it does mean that if you do not open up to your church and make yourself vulnerable with us, then you're already getting hurt by the devil. And you will definitely get hurt for the rest of your life, and you probably won't make it. It'll probably be a fatal, fatal wound in your life. Therefore, open up to us and begin leaning on each other so we can hold you up, just like the silly illustration. I want to hold you up. I want you to hold me up. That's number two, is become vulnerable. Number three, Let us put personal agendas to the side. We need to put personal agendas to the side. If unity is as important as the scriptures say it is, and it says it's really important. I mean, this is not the only passage. It's all over scripture. It means that unity should just jump to the top of our list of important matters. It should be number one. One of the biggest problems with the church today is we all have a thing. Everybody's got a thing. Everybody's passionate about something that isn't what Christ told us to be passionate about. For some people, it's politics. That's my thing. Some people, it's the health of the environment. That's my thing. Some people, it's social justice. Some people fight the government. Some people stand for their rights. That's their thing. Some people are passionate about pets or self-love or being physically fit. Everybody's got a thing today. And the problem isn't that those things aren't important. The problem is, is they're not the most important. Whatever comes out of the mouth of God is the most important. It's clear. 
Following Jesus is the trump card. And unity, we're learning today, is essential to following Jesus. You can't do it without unity. And neither can I. Therefore, unity is more important than anything that we're passionate about. Whatever thing we have in our lives that seems important to us, it's nothing compared to following our Lord and unifying together so we can follow our Lord. But if we put our personal agendas to the side, it doesn't mean we never do them or never care about them, but they're not as important. We're going to put those things to the side for the greater good of unifying together. Then we can get to work on accomplishing our task and being strong together. Number four, expect to work, expect to sacrifice, and expect to serve. I believe more of us would be gung-ho for unity if it was easy, right? If it was easy, I would unify. But it's not easy because anything that's valuable takes work. Unity is valuable, therefore it takes work. It's going to involve all of us sacrificing something, something that we want out of this life. It's going to require that we all are willing to serve each other. Now, I believe some in our church are doing a bang-up job at this already. Some of us are doing really, really good at this. But we can all do better. And, unfortunately, some in our church aren't doing this at all at the moment. They're letting everyone else carry the weight. And therefore, Wyoming Valley Church is limping along, doing the one step as they take their shoe off without sitting down. That's kind of what we look like today. Because we have fewer people to lean on than we're supposed to. We need you. Every single one of you. And you need me as well. We all need to carry this together. And thankfully, unity is a two-way street. Did you know that? It's a two-way street. It's not just sacrifice. When you work, someone else is working next to you. When you sacrifice to help someone else, someone else is sacrificing to help you. When you serve others, someone is serving you. At least that's the goal of unity. And so leaning on each other takes all of us. It takes every single one of us. If I'm leaning on Pastor Mel, and Pastor Mel goes to lean on somebody and nobody's there, we both fall down. And nobody wants us to fall down, right? But if we all work, if we all sacrifice, if we all will serve, then true spiritual support can take place and we can all begin to lean on each other. And this is going to take work. It will. Number five, do it for Jesus. And do it for yourself. That's okay to say. Yes, unity is primarily about following Jesus. When we unify, we glorify the Lord and we do what he taught us to do the way he taught us to do it. We do it for Jesus, primarily. But isn't it also true that when we unify, we get blessed? Because we get support. You get support when you unify. And when we get support, everything in our life is enhanced. Because God designs everything this way. Everything he commands us to do always has a blessing attached to it. Aren't you thankful about your God? Everything he says, do this. This is my commandment. There's always an amazing blessing attached to it. So when we unify together, we all have somebody to lean on in this difficult life and this difficult race. And guys, I'm going to be honest. I need you to lean on. I do. I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the best guy out there. But I believe you need me as well to lean on. And it's my privilege to let you lean on me. Number six. Pray for and support your leaders, your pastors. 
Because supporting your leaders is the way to make everybody stronger because the leaders lead everybody, right? It's, it's a quite simple equation. Now, leaders are strong in some ways and they're weak in others, just like everybody. And one of the ways your pastors are weak is in the area of staying encouraged. All pastors face that one because we face a lot of spiritual attacks. We face a lot of spiritual wilderness. We see people fall away from the church. We see lukewarm people chase worldly pursuits instead of godly pursuits, and we all get a fair share of criticism. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm hoping that after this I can lean on some of you. Pastor Mel and I need your strength, and I know you need ours as well. That's the whole point. And supporting your leaders is a spiritual investment because that support comes right back to you because the leaders are there for you. If you support the leaders, that strength will make its way back to you. When you invest in your leaders by prayer, by encouragement, by support, you get stronger because that's the point of having leaders, to strengthen you. And number seven, stay committed to your church. Stay committed to your church. Now, unity is a hilarious concept when church hopping is a thing. Unity is hilarious when church hopping is a thing. Because church hopping should not be a thing. The only times I believe anyone should ever leave their local church is, number one, when they move out of the area. Benson just did this. He's in Michigan now. It wouldn't make any sense for Benson to try to unify with Wyoming Valley Church, would it? So that's number one. Number two time you should leave your church is when there's something dangerously unbiblical happening that cannot be fixed. And that's it. That's it. Otherwise, church hopping should never be an option. Saying things like, I need more out of my church, or this church down the road has more to offer me, is first of all incredibly selfish to think. And second of all, how is Wyoming Valley Church supposed to get better and stronger when we do the opposite of unifying? When we abandon Wyoming Valley Church for places that have greater strengths than we do already? Does that make any sense to anybody? Is the reason Wyoming Valley Church limping along is because you have one foot in and one foot out? See, your church is your church, and it's not because it's the best church or the brightest church, or it suits your needs the best. That's not why. Your church is your church because God brought you here, just like he brought me here. Guys, you know my story. I did not try to become a pastor, and I did not try to come to Wyoming Valley Church. God brought me to you. And this church and every church has been tailor-made by God to serve your needs. It has. And when you support it, you make it stronger, you make it better, you make it more equipped, you give it more avenues of ministry when you invest in it. Now, there's much more that could be said about this, but I want to summarize this by saying that your church was given to you for your support, for your strength, and for your spiritual help so that you have somebody to lean on. Because we do. Every single one of us needs that. Our Lord Jesus knew that we would need that because desperately... In this life, when Jesus lived here, he needed it. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was hoping to lean on his disciples? At the hardest hour, one of the hardest hours he ever experienced, he was about to be tried for crimes he didn't commit and then crucified. 
And he was hoping to lean upon his disciples, and they weren't around. They kept falling asleep. And now Jesus is pleading with us through Ephesians to lean on each other, to find the support that he wished he would have had at those trying hours. Because without true spiritual support, we're not doing well. We're not going to do well. And honestly, we might die. Wyoming Valley Church, please consider leaning on us more than you already are by, number one, regularly gathering with us. Number two, becoming vulnerable with us. Number three, putting your personal agendas aside. Number four, expecting to work, sacrifice, and serve. Number five, doing it for Jesus and for yourself. Number six, supporting your leaders. And number seven, staying committed to WVC no matter what. And if we do these things, and I wholeheartedly believe this, we will all have somebody to lean on and we'll all become a strong, confident army against the armies of evil. And most importantly, we'll finish our course following Jesus when he returns to get us. Because we all leaned on each other. We all found the support necessary that God gave us. And we'll win. We'll win God's way. Christian, lean on Jesus and lean on each other because unity is a gift of love from your Lord. Can we pray? Father, there's much to be said on this topic, and I know we just covered the basics, but Father, I hope that you've encouraged us all today that we need to take this to a greater lengths and limits than we have already because there is something unique offered to us that maybe we haven't experienced yet. True, true support in the hardest areas of life, someone to lean on, someone to come alongside of and stand with and to hold us up. And I need it, Father, and I know these people need it as well, and I ask and I plead with you to help us see this clearly today so that Wyoming Valley Church can flourish and we can make a huge impact upon this world for eternity and we can defeat the devil and his armies. We can stand our ground, we can go forward, and this world will be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I even pray that tonight for Keystone. Father, that your light would be seen, that the word of God would shine, and we need a lot of people to stand together for that to happen. Help us make strides toward this from now on, and let's do it for your glory and for our success. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.